you're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, you can't go anywhere in Ireland, but you'll bump into somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows you or who should know you. And I walked into Waterford Treasures in Waterford, and we're going to hear about the um, story. If you ever come to Waterford, it's a definite place to visit. And I walk up to reception, I bump into Paul McLaughlin, who has connections in Ottawa. Paul, who have you got in Ottawa? Uh, my niece is in Ottawa, Sharon, Sharon McLaughlin and the family. Right. Niall, Keane, Michaela and Danielle. And um, how long have they been out there now? They, they're over there about 17, 15, 17 years. So they well love settled. it. Well settled and they love it. They love it. They love it. Do they get to come back here? They after? do, yes. Yeah. She was over here recently, not so long ago, about a month ago. Right. So looking forward to going over there next year myself, maybe. Right, right. So here on the tour that we're going to get today, what do we see? And what this is excellent. This is unbelievable. You're going to see the gold vestments dating back to 1460. Right. It's only one of its kind in Northern Europe. Okay. And you have the number one tour guide, Liam Rellis. Rellis. Liam Rellis. Liam Rellis. So I'm looking forward to Liam then. Liam will, Liam will introduce Liam and he'll keep us on track. That's brilliant. So are you busy here? We are. We're busy in the summer. Now at this time of the year it's quiet. Right. And I should mention just in case uh, we are just before Christmas while we're here in Watford. It may be a little later that you get to hear this but we are here and it is just and Watford is a glow with Christmas lights and uh, the whole programme on with carousel big wheels, all sorts of things all yes. over the city. Really, they're, they're really having to put on the, the, the show for yes. visitors. Every year we have a winterfall. Yes. It's magnificent. All rides and Santa Claus and sleigh and yeah, everything. We, we have winter load where it's minus 20 and minus 25. <laughs> we have winterfall where it's plus 5 and plus will, And that's cold for us. Right. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're ready to move along. Yes. Liam, thanks very much for taking the time. Tell me what's going on here. Um, and you're native, are you? Yeah, what I am. This is history, so I'll give you the history of it. Yeah, yeah. I am native to Waterford. You're yeah. native to Waterford. And you're very welcome to Waterford. Thank and this is Ireland's oldest city. Yeah. Built by the Vikings in 914. Right. But uh, I'd rather go through this with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a Do you want a question? No, no, we'll chit chat. We'll chit chat. But yeah. just to, to set no. the to set the scene. Well, welcome to Waterford. Yeah. Ireland's oldest city. You should probably know because we yeah. tell everybody to meet you. Yeah. And it is the third oldest city in Northern Europe, after Paris and London. I didn't know that. Built by the Vikings in 914, and welcome to its finest museum. Right. As you well know, my name is Liam. Yeah. And I'm going to be your host for the tour. Fantastic. Feel free to ask any question you like. It's the last tour of the day. I'm going to ignore you completely. Good. Because I don't have time. So no, I answer any questions. When you say it's the last tour today, how many tours have you done so far? This is the fifth one today. And this now, again, let's put this in context. We're in December here. Mm. Well, and uh, despite it being December, you're obviously in people. See, you see people coming through. Oh, yeah. All year round. It's always a trick. Well, we have the overseas visitors, and then you have a lot of... Uh, visitors to Waterford that are Irish. Yes. And that boosts us as well. And, and then you have Winterville on, the festival on, and we're the only toilet for miles around, so you have people <laughs> coming in to use the toilet. We're heading up in the lift now. Okay. <laughs> so How long has Winterville been? Five, six years now. And it's, it's a success? It's a success in one sense, it's not in another. It's a very successful festival. It's great to have water, brings a lot of people in. But the two jewels of this tour are the undercross down below. Right. 1270 and 1460. Right. And Santa's commandeered them. Ah, uh, okay. We've lost them for the tour. Okay. 
the oldest part of Bill Dwarf and the Santa the Slice and Ah well he kinda of predates uh, that. He does, he, he does. does kind of predate it. And uh so. that didn't go anywhere. Why use my cross? So <laughs> So Liam, then when you say you get a lot of locals who come back as well, and um, this must be fascinating for kids. Ah, it is because it is visual. Yes. You know, it's a modern museum. It's only built seven years ago, so it's not like converting an old building. Normally, museums are housed in old buildings, and people think that the the older the building looks, the more museum it looks. Right. So we built a quite an ultra modern, very visual, very colourful, very modern. So and uh, to put this in context, for those uh, Canadian Ottawa listeners, the shape of the building is a little bit like our what was the Museum of Civilization is mm-hmm. now uh, our History Museum, mm-hmm. and it has that flow to it, the way your yeah. flow has it out the front. Uh, very pleasing and, and yes, yeah. Well, what we're looking at here now, we're looking at a painting of Waterford, going back to 1170, and some marriage of Strombo and Eve. Basically, what happened here, Austin, is that. We invited the English in to do us a small favour back in 1170, and they overstayed our welcome by about 800 years. <laughs> Uninvited, I might add. Right. And uh, lo- a lot of that was misery, some good times, mostly bad times. Right. But that's another story for another time. What we're looking at in this painting is Ireland was divided up into four kingdoms Munster, Leinster, Connacht, and Ulster. English and French people think they're rugby teams nowadays, but there were kingdoms in those days, a thousand years ago. And the King of Leinster had been chucked out of his kingdom by young Irish princes. Still, it's a coup against him. And he wanted it back. Right. There's a fellow called Art McMurray Cavendish. Cavendish knows it. Still, the Cavendish family still occupied the seas from Boris. Is that the Cavendish with the seas? Yeah. The Kays. The Kays. Okay, because uh, my grandmother was a Cavendish with the sea. <laughs> he attacked the. Day. We asked. He went to England and asked the King of England, Henry II, for permission to raise an army to take his kingdom back in Ireland after being dethroned. Now, Henry gave him permission on the understanding, or misunderstanding, as it turns out, that it would be a temporary part time mercenary army raised here in Ireland. But he didn't. He implied this man, looking at the map, looking at the, paint, the painting on the wall, Strongbow. Right. Strombo and Eve, you know the story of Strombo and Eve, you grew up on a certain battle of slow. Uh, Strombo was a battle-hardened knight, right. Anglo-Norman, English-French, which I have to remember just to confuse you even more. All these English who came here were French-speaking. The French had conquered Saxon England, 1066, the Battle of Hastings, and for the next 400 years, all these kings of England were Anglo-Norman, French-English. Uh, the first of the real English English kings was Tudors, but that's for later time. And aren't there some French, what would be French names still? Oh, they're all French from names. All that is, yeah. yeah, all this. I can remember there was Devereaux, as it was one day. Devereaux, Leclerc, um, all these French names. They're all Anglo Normans. And they're in this is predominance yeah, of here of some of them. Yeah. Now, uh, Strombo had an army of about a thousand knights, eight hundred to a thousand knights, right. all veterans of the Holy Wars in Jerusalem, based in Wales. And in 1170, he brought that army over here. Now, the old Viking Irish city had no defence against this modern professional soldier, battle hardened by the Holy Wars in Jerusalem. Right. Two wholesale slaughter, two days, half the town dead, half the population dead, rivers of blood. The whole shebang. And that was bad enough, but as you're looking at the painting also with me, you can see that there's a wedding in progress. Uh-huh. Uh, Strombo then married the daughter of the King of Leinster, Macmora. 
making him the most powerful guy around. Not only had he an army of a thousand lights based here in Waterford, but he was now, by marrying the eldest daughter, he was now <coughs> going to be heir apparent to the kingdom of Leinster, the most right. powerful of the Irish kingdoms. Right. Henry, the second king of England, did not like this one bit. You have to understand English mentality. Think of the map of England and Europe. England fought all its battles to the south. France, Spain and Portugal. Ireland was like a back door. Right. Particularly Waterford, the nearest seaport on the east on the west coast of England. All these French armies come up many of the time up to the English Channel to invade England. England rushes down to their channel ports to defend, right. sneak in the back door from Ireland, sack England from behind. Right. Henry II knew this right. strategically. So himself, the King of England, a year later, a year after this marriage in 1170, 1171, Henry personally sailed up the river here at the, end, the head of the largest armada that ever, ever entered an Irish port. Something like 600 ships erected, about 2,000 troops, intending to take the city back from Strongbow. Mm. Strongbow took one look at what was coming up the river, said, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Surrendered everything back to Henry, not an arrow fired. Henry graciously allowed Strongbow to keep his interest in Leinster, but Henry II retained Waterford as his own city, the royal city. Okay. So all but geographical, Waterford for the next couple of hundred years was in fact an English city, mm. which is why so many kings came here, kings of England. Liam, I have to ask at this stage, where did you get your passion for history? Passion for history, Kempster, the first fellow offered to pay me to learn it. <laughs> and uh, I have a couple of master's degrees, one of them is in tourism, which brings in history. Right. And uh, I worked in the arts for years uh, here in Waterford, so uh, I do have a history yeah, I know, but all those at school, I must say, when I was at school, I didn't have a great interest in history. Ah, well, yeah. yeah I didn't have a great interest yes, in anything. Uh, as a very good comedian says, the way I tell him. <laughs> so, before we got to this uh, replica here of what would have been the town, the city. Yes. Uh, what year? Uh, that was in 1300s? That's around 1400. Right. There's a population of about 2000. Uh, King John played a huge part. Yeah. King John was the fourth youngest son of Henry II. John should never have been King of England, fourth and ninth to the throne. But he wanted to go on the crusades with his famous brother, Richard the Lionhearted, good King Richard. But his father, Henry II, said, Look, you're only 14. You're not going anywhere near Jerusalem. Go to your gap year in Waterford. So he sent him to Waterford in 1185 as Prince John of England and Lord of Ireland. He gave him the lands of Ireland as a playground. All the brothers died and John unexpectedly became King John of England and returned to live here and rule England from his castle here in Waterford in 1210. Right. And that's what you're looking at the map now. Very much the Viking Triangle. Now, as well as I see, first of all, it's a walled city or was a walled yeah. city. But it seems that there's a secondary wall. That's an angle. This is see the original. That's why it's called yes. the Viking Triangle. Okay. That's the original. Uh, and that would have been down parameters of the. And that was down to the water. Yeah. So it's the parameters the of the Viking Triangle had remained the same since 914, since the Vikings built the same Viking Triangle, right. same space. That's a tributary of the main river going in there. Called the King John's River to this day. It flows through the park now. That's where the Grand Mall is, where the glass factory is, the crystal factory. Okay. Uh, they deferred or they detoured that river to the west, to the south, 
in the 19th and the 18th century to build the Grand Mall out there. That'll come into another story. So okay. what you're asking me about then, that's an Anglo-Norman suburbia. Okay. That's what that is out there. So of what we're looking at here, of the churches and uh, the um, what would be the uh, parts of the wall, how much still survives? Well, very a lot of it, um, particularly this section, the far section. Yeah. That's most or more or less intact. There's the gateways. There's a bit there. See the lunar towers. See these semicircular yeah. towers. They're still there. Right. Over the middle of the town. That bridge is the oldest bridge in Ireland. King John's Bridge. See that one there? Yeah. That's still there to this day. I go over and back to work over that bridge every day. So a lot of the walls are still intact. All the ones on the business side of the city, the port side, have all been taken down. Uh, this would have been... Well, they probably hadn't been built then, but they were taken down again when the port got busy. Like 15th, 16th century, there was no one threatening this city. And the construction of these, these were all stone walls? All stone, stone walls. Stone brought in yeah. from the mountains around the mountains around and everything, limestone most of it. And that's King John's Cathedral here, right. built by King John in the 13th century. Right. And that was knocked down in the 18th century to build the present Christchurch next door. Okay. Uh, after Henry VIII's Reformation, the Catholic cathedral was converted into an Anglican cathedral, but built as a Catholic cathedral, it was too opulent for Anglicans to worship in, so they knocked it down in the, in the 18th century to build the present Christ Church next okay. to it. But that was King John's cathedral. So then, of any of the houses that would have been there, uh, has anything survived? Yes, you see in the front of the cathedral there. Yeah. There are all those houses, the house on the right there. I'll show you on the map later on, save right. that question for later on. Okay. Their so, are still there. So again, if somebody is coming to Waterford... Well, oh, you can see the city walls. You're looking at actual history. Yes. You're looking at the real thing. And there's none more real than this, Austin. Basically, Waterford was huge for one reason or another. Huge industry, the wine trade. Okay. And Waterford was huge in the wine trade because by order of the kings of England over the centuries, Waterford was one of the two towns in Ireland with a license to import wine. Now, this kind of a franchise gave you a license to print money in the mm -hmm. Middle Ages, 14th, 13th, 14th, 15th century. The wine merchants in Waterford would have set the tariffs, the taxes, the wholesale retail price, and... Um, uh, transport, storage, shipping costs, all set by and paid to the Waterford wine merchants by order of the kings of England. Right. And what we're looking at here now is the Great Charter Roll. These are the original documents guaranteeing Waterford that right. They're signed by kings of England. They're the actual documents. Right. These are the kings who signed and probably the earliest representation of any English kings. Henry II, King John, Henry III, Edward I, famous Longshanks of... Braveheart fame. Right. Edward II has gone missing for the simple reason his wife tore his image out when the document was in London and burned it. <laughs> and Edward III, they're the kings who signed them. These are just the 1215 King John Charter. Now, where were these? These are all kept in the city. These are all unique to Waterford. And they're part of the history of Waterford. Now, as you probably know, our records office burned down in 1922 in yes, Dublin. Yeah. We're lucky these were all based in Waterford. Because Waterford was a capital city, an English city. Right. So all these were designed for Waterford to be kept in Waterford. Matter of so fact, there was a good, like, effectively, there was a good archive. Good archive here. Now, it changed and came and went with English rule and... and uh, 
the famine and stuff like that. But yeah. in reality, these are still legal tender. No, and when I and the reason mm. I'm asking about this is because the condition of them and how they were preserved. Because here they are, they're now under plastic mm. in a in a climate controlled mm. or weather controlled. But well, these are vellum. These are calf skin, so they're so very durable. There's got stains on them. Oh yeah, yeah. But up until then, they would have been just in and just rolls and some dusty, some, some, some dusty, dusty colour somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And we've got a, we've got a great amount of artifacts. Like we're looking here at a cannon. Basically, all these royal marriages and why we're so concentrated on the kings of England is that they made a huge influence in Ireland. And uh, a lot of these kings, all the marriages were all arranged marriages, business deals, really, yeah. with France, Spain, and Portugal. Very little love hanging around Austin. But a lot of children around these marriages, shall we say, born of the king but not of the queen. Right. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. And the eldest of these by children putting up their hands saying, I'm the eldest son of the king of England, I'm rightfully heir to the throne. Right. Oh no, you're not, the queen is not your mother, you know what I right. know with this. Yeah. And one such guy, Perkin Morvick, illegitimate son of Edward IV down there, claiming to be king of England. 1488, the king at the time was the first of the Tudors, Henry VII. Now, Perkin Morvick, pretender to the throne, brought four warships into Waterford, went to anchor, came ashore, met the mayor of Waterford, looking to raise an army here to enforce each what was an illegitimate claim, spurious claim to be right for the King of England. Now, normally the Irish princes office, Austin, were willing to have a go at an English king if the money was right. right. But in 1488, we must have got a great grant from London, because the mayor of Waterford told the Perkin Warwick pretenders to just want get back on your ships and shag off out of here. You're not raising any armies here. We're getting on very well with England at the moment. Right. We want to keep it that way. Right. He got back on his ships, all right, but the so-so started pounding the city walls with this type of cannon we're looking at. Exactly that type of cannon. That's one of the cannon recovered from that scene of Waterford, that siege of Waterford in 1488. And actually the oldest cannon ever recovered in Ireland. Now, have you seen the city walls? They're three foot thick, a meter uh-huh. thick of size. Uh-huh. He wants to be using a pea shooter, also, he's using that thing. But that thing there, to give it as good, it's about, Cannonade. It's about three foot. Um, long isn't it and, and they'd never breach the walls with that right well, <coughs> what would the range of that have been well it would be up against the wall I mean the river was flowing down where the mountain yeah. is now and the wall was flowing down by the other side of the river so it would have been it would have been 20 feet away from it but they even, couldn't breach yeah but even at that just couldn't so wouldn't it, it wouldn't have gone no, more than 20 that wouldn't, wouldn't have damaged the water yeah. at all so the lads the water for lads to say the water news but the Canberra Water City Council clever blokes that they were damned that tributary the King John's River about two miles to the west drying out that little estuary a switch on the map right, right. so the four warships are now high and dry pounding the city walls with pea shooters <laughs> so eventually suffer, a week later suffering from starvation dysentery and thirst the army had to get off the ships, wade across the muddy marshy riverbed. We released the dam, drowned them all where they stood. Not an arrow fired. Anyone who saw ashore, heads on stakes up in city square. Right. Now, uh, the King of England, Henry VII, was so grateful to John Wise, Mayor of Waterford, Austin, he bestowed a great honour on him. He said, Mayor Wise, you put out a couple of these rebellions against my reign here in Ireland as a very special reward. Your youngest son, William Wise, aged 10, will be shipped off to Windsor Castle in England to be raised and educated as one of the royal family. Great honour also for John Wise, Mayor of Waterford. Terrible result for little Willie, aged 10, being shipped off to a foreign country to be uh-huh. raised by a stranger. Uh-huh. So young Willie Wise from Waterford grew up with as a stepbrother 
to the famous Henry VIII. And not only did they grow up as stepbrothers since they were ten, they ended up in lifelong best friends. Right. So that put Waterford in a great state with the English royalty. Henry shared, by the time Henry VIII was king of England, little Willie was grown up back as mayor of Waterford. So Waterford did well out of this arrangement. Right. Two stepbrothers deal with each other. Henry shared all sorts of gifts. Right. And we're looking at this great bearing sword. But before we do, I'm looking at this, this actual... Yeah, rights and charts of very right. Henry did. That's handwritten. Yeah, by candlelight. Yeah, and to begin put in contact, we're looking at a piece of, of vellum right? yeah. that is about 30 inches, 36 inches wide, would have been four feet, four feet long. And it is handwritten in tiny script that if you were told to go off and write the lines, you, couldn't, being, do it. you couldn't do it with Not a candlelight in it. And you wouldn't need These are professional script writers. That's now, Henry VIII, as I said, grew up with William Wise Ward. When Henry was king, Willie was back as Ware of Waterford. So Waterford was in good stead with the English writing. Henry actually, we're looking at a bearing sword presented by Henry VIII, the actual sword presented by Henry VIII to William Wise here of Waterford. A present from one stepbrother to another. Right. And this Austin is rare since heat. This is the cap of maintenance, Henry VIII's own cap. And I joke you not, the only piece of Henry VIII's clothing left in the world today. You've all heard of Mr. Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell. Uh -huh. Oliver and Hitler go in the same breath around here. Oliver Cromwell uh, beheaded Charles I, opposed to the monarchy in England, set up the British Parliament, fought and won the English Civil War. And at the end of the Civil War, he had a ceremonial destruction of everything to do with the shooters. He burned and destroyed everything, tried to wipe them out of memory. Not only out of history, out of memory. So this cap was saved from all for the present from Henry to his stepbrother William. So it will always be the only piece of Henry VIII's clothing left in the world. Now it's called a cap of maintenance. Mm -hmm. Why? Maintenance was to maintain the relationship between two people. Okay. So was that, uh, that was a, a, a practice at yeah, the time. Yeah. Right. And it's got the Tudor rose on the top. And interesting enough, it's got a row of daisies around the rim. Right. Now, Henry wasn't close to his mother, Eleanor of York, but he was very close to his granny. Okay. And the French for daisies is Marguerite, and that's what... That's why the days are there. Henry's homage to his grandma. Right, right. It's a wonderful piece. Internationally recognised as being a unique object. And so as you see, you're seeing live history. No, the fabric in that is silk. Okay. Yeah. But uh, you're seeing live history with the chart or original yeah. documents, original sword, original cap. And here's a very, we dug this out of the ground when we were building the museum seven years ago. Went back to when John, that's King John, when John was king here in Waterford. Yeah. That was made in Waterford. It's an 800-year-old, 22-carat gold brooch. It's very like the Tara brooch. It's a miniature version of it. Yeah. And uh, it's found here in Waterford we were excavating. Wow. It's amazing. I had a classload of 12-year-old girls here, local girls in here last week. And I called one of them more and said, would you like that? It's 800 years old. You know what she said to me, Austin? I prefer a new one if you had one. <laughs> Come back here a minute. We're looking at a maze, aren't we? We're looking at a maze. Remember what I was telling you earlier on about the wine trade? Yeah. And more of its unique position. Yeah. When the King of Munster, King of Leinster, built his own port, New Ross, and brought his own ships in, avoiding the tax of Waterford, uh, this was disastrous for good old Waterford. 
the purse was empty, no ships coming in, they were all diverting to New Ross, to the, port, to the Kingdom of Leinster. And contrary to the royal documents, they guaranteed water with the rights of importation. So eventually, we went over to England, to Edward and her King of England, with these documents saying, sort this problem out between New Ross. New Ross should not be shipping directly into themselves, into Leinster. All the cargo must, particularly the wine, must come through water by royal command. That argument lasted 150 years. Councillors from Waterford going over city councils, going over to argue with English King, till eventually in 1518, Austin, the councillor got so fed up, we raised an army, went down and burned New Ross to the ground, flattened the town, charged New Ross Town Council a fine of £100 of silver, a fortune in this day, for making us go to the bother of having to burn their town down and seize the mace of New Ross. Every city had its own symbol. That's New Ross's mace symbol of New Ross City. Capture that, you capture the city. There's a lot of ways for people on tour of country this regime trying to get that back. So they are, but now they're bringing hurley sticks as well, aren't they? Yeah, they can have it if they bring <laughs> hurley sticks. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned that the museum here was set up about five years ago? Seven years seven ago. Seven years ago. So, um, you've, since the doors opened, I'm sure the uh, increase in the throughput... And the oh, an increase in throughput. I mean, it's, 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 as you can see, it's not a story, it's a live objects, the objects are all historically live here. And now it's um, part of Ireland's ancient deeds. There's three museums actually. There's the Georgia Museum next to us that celebrates the uh, 18th century. Uh, they concentrate mostly on the glass industry now. Right. That's the building next door to us. We have the virtual reality, the Viking story down the road, an especially constructed building for the virtual reality that tells the whole Viking. As the Vikings never left any written history, as you probably know. Right. It's all a variable history. Yeah. So I was soon to be opening now next month a silver museum, 18th century silver. So it'll be a kind of a compound of Viking Triangle of, of life history. And the silver museum has a next door. Yeah. Are there many artifacts that? Oh, have huge! Been? We have a huge amount of silver left to us. Silver in China. We have a lot of 18th century stuff that survived. But this we're looking at now is a book. This is the history of Waterford from the 14th to the 18th century. This is the great parchment book of Waterford. It's written in Anglo-Norman French, Latin, and probably us, more than possibly, probably one of the first books ever written in the English language. Right. It's very difficult to pin down written English, even oral English. Like great English writers like Geoffrey Chaucer were writing Canterbury Tales. <laughs> so that ties in nicely with this. So as historians say, we're 99% certain it's one of the first books written in English and it's the history of war. And very elaborately illustrated. Basically what happened here, Henry of course, famous Henry VIII went off the rails with his first wife, wanted to get divorced, the Pope in Rome said you can't, you're a Catholic. Yeah. You know the story. Yeah. Henry being the, what do we call him, petulant king of England that he was, separated from Rome, formed his own religion, the Church of England, the Anglican faith, got divorced and started what we call the Reformation. Mm -hmm. Now during Henry's Reformation, all Catholic institutions were closed, burned down, ransacked. No Catholic churches anywhere in the British Isles for 230 years because of Henry's divorce. 
uh, actually the first Catholic church we built anywhere in the British Isles in 230 years was the Catholic Cathedral in the middle of Waterford City here, opened in 1796. Okay. And uh, the faith of the Empire obviously became the Anglican faith under Henry. Went back to the Catholic faith briefly under Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, mm-hmm. but she started burning Protestants in Northern Ireland and lost her head completely, mm-hmm. literally. And our sister Elizabeth has taken over the throne, and Elizabeth wants to go back to the Anglican faith right. and this is an appeal to Elizabeth this is written especially for Elizabeth an appeal to Elizabeth to allow Waterford to remain Catholic it's all the great things that happened in Catholic Waterford that were pro-royalty like the stories of yes. putting down rebellions Park and Warwick all that sort of stuff to allow Waterford to remain Catholic so when you said the first Catholic church um, that was built even during prior to that after um, from 900 on Catholic faith was being practiced and when it was illegal it was being practiced. Well from 900 on you have to, you have to remember the Anglo-Normans are deeply Catholic. Okay. So uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15th century hardline, fundamental bogline Catholic faith, Roman Catholic religion here. Right. These old merchants these old white merchants were deeply Catholic they were afraid of one thing purgatory. Right. They knew they were going to heaven because they built churches, chapels, monasteries all over the shop. Right. But church buildings was church business. Right. Purgatory was God's business. And the Catholic Church teaches, still does, a moment in purgatory, a moment of God's time is like a thousand lifetimes. Right. So these old gentlemen, multi-millionaire wine merchants, deeply Catholic, were terrified of purgatory. Okay, okay. And uh, there's... Uh, a dean of King John's Cathedral here in Waterford, the cathedral next door to us. He was Dean John Collin, very progressive Waterford uh, dean, priest. He was dean of the cathedral from 1440 to 1482, and he called them all together in the 15th century. He said, look, they were all going over seas to holy sites in Europe trying to do, get plenary indulgences, as some of your listeners might remember, mm-hmm. them, to reduce this time of purgatory. And he's called them all together. He said, look, you're too old for foreign travel. These are hazardous sea journeys, hazardous land journeys, feudal times, lots of ways you can die. I have a new way of getting in the back door of heaven. I'm a modern Catholic priest. It is the 15th century. Try straight cash. You give me your property, I'll rent the property, keep the money in the back door of heaven, squeezes up. Yeah. James Rice got into 200 across and four houses across the, the sill there, across the way there. So the back door of heaven hits me in the back of the head on the way in, you know, that kind of way. <laughs> but that's the way it was deeply Catholic first, right, right up to Henry's time. So then was Waterford, uh, I won't say competing, but was it ahead of what would have been the other cities in Ireland? So, uh, like, be it Dublin, Galway? Yeah. Um, well, Galway was a major trading port with Spain and Portugal. Right. That's where the Spanish arts and all those yes. great Spanish, and the Galway, genuine Galway people look Spanish anyway. They're all dark-skinned, Spanish-looking, Latino. That's the same time. Yeah, same song in Galway. So Waterford would have been a major city right. up to about the Trump throughout the 15th century or so. See, I think where I'm coming from is ways we lose sight that just because we are as sophisticated as we think we are today, mm. that's back in 
the 14th, 15th, 16th centuries, and that there wasn't a level of sophistication. Oh, well, there was a very I mean, high level of sophistication. We have a little lane way out the back there, back in the museum called Coffee House Lane, and the first actual coffee shop opened in Ireland in 1690 out there. Right. And, and it wasn't Starbucks. And it wasn't, wasn't Costa, but it came fashionable. Right. Even then. For people to sip, be seen sipping coffee in the coffee shops. Right. Most of the alliance and discuss of the wine bar owners about that. The second most lucrative profession was wine was bar ownership. Right. But as you and I both know, bar no bar people are very very bar keeps are very knowledgeable people because they're stone cold sober when you're drunk and disorderly. Sure. They hear and see everything. So everybody flocked out of the pubs into the fashionable coffee shops we've seen sipping coffee. And where was the coffee coming from then? Covered, just the point. The, the bar owners disliked this coffee shop because they were emptying the bars. Yeah. So they dropped a little bit of information on the street, just a hint. Just a little bit of a little hint. After all, coffee came from Turkey. Must be a pagan drink. That was the coffee shops back into the wine bars, terrified of upsetting God. Right. Till the then Pope in Rome, I swear this is true, it's written in that book. Till the then Pope in Rome, Pope Clement VII, on being served his first cup of coffee, blessed it, baptized it, declared it a Christian drink. Out of the wine bars, back into the coffee shops, God seemed to think it was okay. No defense. And this started a marketing war in the late 17th century between coffee and wine. Right. So much so they brought in a law here in Waterford because the bar owners, according to the, the, the writings of the time, with little fear of God and to increase the sale of wine, employed naughty, corrupt women behind the bars. Sexy barmaids. And right. brought in the law in late 1672, 1692. There was so much trouble in the bars when they brought women in. Now, no women ever caused any bother in any bar, ever. Right. Drunken men showing off in front of women. <laughs> and I was the captain of that bar when I was a young man. Here in Waterford, I was the captain of that group. So they brought in the law there in 1692 that never more shall any woman, maid, wife, wench or widow be allowed inside the front door of a public tavern. All the women got barred because drunken men couldn't behave themselves. Coming back to the, the book here, has ever an attempt been made or has it been uh, translated? It has, of course, yeah. It has, yeah. By that man, Lloyd Byrne over there. Right. And um, the, uh, so that gives you a full history of what period? From 14th century public? to uh, 1372 to 1700, roughly. Right, so quite detailed. Oh, yeah. And all it is is written for Elizabeth, more or less. Now, does it mention names? By that I mean... Oh, it does. Because one of the things, you can talk about battles and everything else, but social history is Mm -hmm. about people. Oh, yeah. Well, the bar people were named, the coffee shop owners were named, they're all named. We're going downstairs now. Okay. So, you are listening to Irish Radio Canada. We are in Watford Treasures. And uh, we play a little piece of music and we'll come back to you. You're listening to Radio Canada, we're at Watford Treasures, and what have we walked into, Lee? We've walked into the religious side of things. Henry VIII is featured here. Now, we talked about Henry's Reformation earlier on. Now, he closed down, burned down, ransacked every single Catholic institution in Ireland and England to facilitate his divorce from Catherine of Aragon, except one church, the Franciscan Greyfriars, the Franciscan Church here in Waterford. A fellow called Henry Walsh knew Henry VIII and went to him and asked him to leave it open to serving the poor as a hospital 
for the poor and sick of Waterford, the Holy Ghost Hospital Order of Monks, Franciscan Monks were running it. And Henry left it open on the basis the pricey charge Henry was for leaving that church open during the Reformation was a Catholic Mass a day we said for his soul. And to this day, the Catholic Mass today is said for the soul by the Holy Ghost Order, the soul of Henry VIII. Mm. And this is why you're looking at all these patron mm. saints of all the churches of Waterford. They were immediately moved to the Franciscan Abbey because they were now under king protection. Otherwise, these would have been destroyed in Henry's Reformation. But we're looking for a map again. This is a map of 1170. This is the city that Stromboli's army would have attacked. Now, in a thousand nice professional soldiers, you can look at this map and see you don't have to be military genius figure out it had no defence here. No, it's just kind of a... a Timber fences. Yeah, yeah. That's that King John's River that to put yeah. four warships in. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the name Walsh. Mm-hmm. There's names again very predominant down here. You oh, yeah, Tower. That's the Puer, wasn't it? Or the Puer, that's the Anglo Normans. Yeah. And then, um, then you have Aaron. Yeah, Hearn, Hearn, haven't you? Yeah, Hearn. And you have names like Chasey, which is Viking name. Okay. And Miguel of Fordrick, which is Viking name. Right. But um, this city, 1170, had no defence against the modern army. Wholesale slaughter. But roll on. Now, again, the construction of these houses, predominantly. Stone and water. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, we're looking at Waterford in 1480. Same Viking triangle, you notice, from, from 914. Same geographical dimension. But now much more of a cityscape. Proper streets, proper laneways. King John's Cathedral sitting proud. But um, um, obviously the construction has changed. Yes, and Anglo-Norman walls. Yes. And uh, extended uh, uh, the walls into the suburbia, Anglo-Norman suburbia. But there's a population of about 2,500 here, 1480, 1460. There's 13 Catholic churches on that map. You know, the walls are beautiful. Reginald's Tower was there, King John's Cathedral. That's the Franciscan Friary, the Holy Ghost Hospital Order I was telling you about. Yeah. So they're all still there. And those churches literally are in a stone's throw yes. of, of each other. Yes. They're amazing. Amazing when you consider mm. them. So old. Yeah. But uh, deeply Catholic, as I say. And from any of the records, given how close there were, would there have been subtleties or rivalries because again you would get um, or loyalties that you would have had ah, there would have been family loyalties would have been kingdom loyalties people would have moved in from outside the area and caused ructions I suppose you know yeah there was yeah. very much clans the Dacia clan came down from the Midlands and of course Dacia is now associated with Waterford yeah yeah. And uh, they started building churches outside the walls at St. Catherine's Abbey over there. Right. Right. The reason for that was quite simple. There was a tax to enter the city, and some of the religious orders felt it wasn't fair to pay to go in and see God. Right. But the dean of that cathedral, Dean John Collin, I spoke about him earlier on, he was a very modern Catholic cleric. Now, he said to these guys, you're doing hazardous sea journeys, hazardous land journeys, holy places in Europe. 
trying to reduce this time in purgatory. He said, I have a new way. He said, I'm a modern Catholic cleric. Try straight cash. <laughs> you give me your property, I'll rent the property, keep the money in the back door of heaven's yeah. gate. This is what we're looking at now. Is a 10 foot long parchment roll. This is the Dean's actual rent book from the 15th century. Right. It's not a copy, it's not a facsimile, it's 10 foot long. And all the writing on it is the properties that's collected money under this back door to heaven scheme. And now, when is that, does that have the names of the tenants? Yes. Fascinating. So, these are guys by this is what? These indulgences. This is what Martin Luther nailed his thesis yes. to about the sale of indulgences. But I have to say, now we're going to finish up very shortly here, yeah. Austin. Um, the dean of that cathedral, John Collin, with his back, to, back, to, back door to heaven scheme, rental scheme, produced one wonderful set of articles, the holy vestments. He had a set of altar vestments made for that King John's Cathedral in Waterford. They're made in Bruges in Belgium, the Warren capital of embroidery. It took a team of seamstresses of 20 years to make them in Bruges. They're made of Chinese silk, Italian linen, but they're sewn together completely with 24 karat gold thread. They're one of the great treasures in Europe. Have a look at them. They're 550 years old now, Austin, and they're considered one of the great treasures of Europe. Aren't they stunning? Regardless of what religion it might be, we're looking at great works of art. Look at the colours after 550 and years. And of course, given what was used, they don't, they, the colours yeah, And that's pure 24 karat yeah. gold. Amazing, amazing. There's a great story about these. I mentioned Mr. Cromwell earlier on. In 1649, Cromwell brought his army to Ireland. Some of the Irish princes were still loyal to the dead king. And the nine months we see here, thousands of Irish people died. But the Bishop of Waterford, known Cromwell's army, was coming down the road. And if these were found and captured, they'd be melted down for the gold. Fair enough, English, mm-hmm, war mm-hmm, booty, mm-hmm. war booty. So he hid them in a secret room underneath the floor of St. John's Cathedral next door and forgot to tell anyone where he left them. So Cromwell came and went, as you probably know, Waterford was the only city Cromwell didn't conquer. Mm-hmm. He brought their own cannon. The water was. Now he's a son in law of Henry Ayrton, did come back a year later and flattened it out. But uh, they buried him underneath the floor of the church to hide him on the English soldiers. Cromwell soldiers came and went, the bishop is dead, vestments are missing, are soon gone back to England to be melted down. 123 years later, John Roberts, the local architect, is knocking over John's cathedral to build the Anglican church next door, Christ Church. And uh, the workman. He was actually blown the 13th century foundations out of the ground with gunpowder trying to get rid of him. After one such explosion, the workman went in to clear out the rubber, found the vestments, found the boxes, vestments, exactly as you see them. They're not only 550 years old, they were buried underneath that church for 123 years. Given what they're, given what they're made with, are, there must be a lot of weight. That one, the cope here is about 12 kilos. Right. And uh, we've, all these are all images of Old and New Testament. We cleaned them up yeah. on the screens there. Yeah. Now, the movie next door is all about these, but you haven't right. got time to watch it. Right. Let's come in tomorrow.
Right. Um, so before we wrap up then to put history, I'm going to give you one last one to wrap okay. up with. And so given that Waterford is such a famous city for its hit, uh, glass, mm-hmm. when would a glass then have started as being the 18th century, 1740 or so. And it would have and been an integral part of the... Uh, uh, the Penrose family started and then it stopped in 1848 for the famine. Right, the famine stopped there and it recommenced in 1950. That was a long story. Now, what we're looking at here, just to finish off, is a man called Luke Wadding, born here in Waterford. Luke was the only Irishman nominated to be Pope, and he turned down the job. He didn't want it. He was, uh, his brother was a wine merchant. He went on a trade mission to Spain to get buy wine. He got the call in there, became a Franciscan monk. was sent to Rome as a papal envoy to Rome. Uh, Spanish envoy to the Papal See of Rome. While he was there, he wrote the complete history of the Franciscan Order. The Franciscan Archives in Rome are called after him, the Luke Orton Archives. He opened two colleges in Rome, one is still there, the famous Irish College mm-hmm. in Rome, was founded by him. But he's the Pope at the time, gave him the job of putting the saints' names together on the days. And this is the man who made March the 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Right. I'm going to leave you with that. Fantastic. Well, Lee, thank you for taking the time. It has been fascinating. And just so what we should wrap up with is, if when, when in Waterford, I know you'll find this museum no problem, but if you're lost, all you have to do is ask, and ask for Waterford Treasures. For Waterford Treasures. And you'll be directed. And we're open 364 days a year, practically. We're closed for two days, three days of Christmas. Hooray. Right. Right. We're open every day, seven days a week. Right, and you open about about we're always here. What you open about ten o'clock in the morning? Yeah, ten or eleven o'clock on Sunday, but ten o'clock generally. Right, two is run on the hour. And then there's a, there's a, a, a shop downstairs as well. Shop downstairs, nominal fee for the tours. And there's the yeah. area down below. Is there a cafeteria or something? And there's in the Georgian Museum. There's a lovely cafe there. Right. So it's the kind of place. Now, yes, so how much day. time normally should somebody if you'd want to leave yourself in our per museum if you want to watch the movies and that's an hour and a half, two hours. Right. You know, per museum. Right. And but you do it over two days. You buy a ticket one day and use it for the week and. And come in there as often as you want right. and see what you want. And again, if you want to find it on the web, go on, just do a search on Google for what for treasures. What for treasures. And it'll bring you there. Um, Liam, thank you very much for the Thank you. Time. It has been brilliant. You are listening to our Radio Tender, Home and Abroad.